Hey guys, Pat here. We've got a fun episode for you today. We sat down with husband and wife super team, John and Rana Lustian, co-founders of Edible, to talk about how they met and how Rana turned her passion for raw cookie dough into a company. Edible is a Los Angeles-based business that crafts 100% safe-to-eat eggless cookie dough with flavors like Candy Crush, Peanut Butter Cup, Birthday Bash, and so much more deliciousness. Oh, and we also have a special treat for our listeners as well. Just jump on at edible.com, that's E-D-O-U-G-H-B-L-E.com at any time and use the code FOUNDER20 for 20% off your next order. All right, let's get it going. We just kind of looked at each other and said, hey, we think we have something really great here. Let's like really either do it or not. Um, and if we don't, are we, are we cool with that? Can we live with that? And I think we're like, no, we think we have something, you know, it's, it's one of those sort of once in a lifetime opportunities um, and let's give it a shot. went to University of Michigan, um, graduated early and had no idea what I wanted to do, but I've always been obsessed with food. So I went to culinary school. I moved back to LA, went to Le Cordon Bleu. Um, I had already had experience working at Spago in pastry. I was a dessert cook there. um, And that's what really inspired me to see that culinary school was something that I could commit to. So um, I did that and I worked at a restaurant in San Francisco called Boulevard, which was amazing. Both amazing experiences. And then uh, working in real estate development and just was like, I needed something more. I wanted to um, get into, uh, go back. They wanted to somehow get back to LA. Um, so applied to USC, got in and, um, that's kind of how, how we met John and I met, uh, we were in the same class there. Um, a year into school, Nestle had recalled all of their cookie dough and it was an immediate light bulb for me. Um, just like, oh my God, why is there no cookie dough to eat? Like there's literally pictures of me studying abroad in Australia, eating tubes of cookie dough from the freezer. And that's, that's kind of how it got started. We had this light bulb moment. I said, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to think of a way to create like a cold stone creamery, but for cookie dough. So different flavors of dough and different flavors of toppings and mix-ins. And, uh, John and I would just be in the kitchen. We were testing like vegan and gluten-free because of course we're in LA, um, trying to get this like very healthy and like nothing was tasting like, you know, the good old name brand mm-hmm. doughs, big food brands. So um, we, we just started getting more and more premium ingredients mm-hmm. and then uh, wrote a business plan and won the business plan competition. So this started in a class. So this started, yeah, in graduate school. Yeah, so we, we um, and I can like talk about my background yeah, yeah, at some point, do. or I'll just do it quickly. But um, before business school, I spent about four years at an advertising agency working opposite Nestle. So Nestle was my client and I did uh, worked on a number of different brands from Nesquik to Taster's Choice, Coffee Mate, um, Infant Formula, good start. So a lot of experience with consumer packaged goods. Uh, it was just sort of the early days of digital marketing. So running some really early UGC campaigns on, on YouTube. And it was a great learning, but I also realized I didn't want to just be one little piece of the marketing plan and like the creative strategy mm-hmm. and execution. And and so, yeah, I went back to business school, focused on strategy classes and then entrepreneurship, which is, yeah, where Ron and I connected. And 
And that, that moment where Nestle made that recall, we just happened to start sort of class one of, I think, three or four different classes on an entrepreneurial certificate, like a separate mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. Uh, working with the Lloyd Greif uh, Entrepreneurial yeah. School. Um, and so we had to come up with, with some concept anyways, and it just like clicked at the right moment. Ron, I have the background, you know, in being able to whip up like some really great recipes really quick. Um, so yeah, so we had we had something that we thought was a real viable idea, and we also were just entering into, you know, a very structured process through you know our academic program to walk through feasibility and business planning um, and all that, which was like just timed out mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. So I know you both mentioned you know meeting each other in business school. Uh, I'm kind of interested in that story. You know, before we <laughs> delve into the you know edible and all the other you know ventures that you guys have been involved with um how did that happen mm-hmm. wow <laughs> defer, defer. yes so we were assigned the same core in class and um, we had the same start date um same core and then they give you assigned seats and so we had seats that were right near each other i was right behind john so i can send him notes during class <laughs> And um, these are class notes or other notes? Yeah, other notes. <laughs> <laughs> Love notes. So, <laughs> but at the time, I actually was in a relationship, and it was a very serious relationship. I had been with him since college, and I thought we were going to get married. Um, and just having that time apart, uh, where I was home, I was back in LA, I was back with my family, I was with John every day, and we were just having really fun, great times. Um, you know, you start reflecting and realizing all these things that, you know, you want differently in your life. And so John and I, I, I didn't know necessarily that John was the one yet, but I did know that the other guy was not. And so I really wanted to give John a fair shot and see, can we be more than friends? Because we were best friends. Like, we hung out all the time together. We talked on the phone at night. We studied together. We did work together. We worked out together. It was like everything was together. So, yeah, so we decided to give it a shot, and that was December of 2008. And we have not been apart since. Yeah, and I'll just add, I mean, she, she's obviously, like, striking. But the most, the most compelling thing about her, um, especially that was obvious in business school, is she you know, when she sort of sets her mind on something or she has uh, a goal, she's like a force of nature, right? And and she was a clear standout. Everyone wanted to be in a group project with her because she would just drive that thing, right? So um, I knew, you know, my dad always said, you know, find find a partner that, that makes you better and drives you. And and while, so we're very complimentary in, in that way, which, which is great because I think together we do, so, can achieve some incredible things, but also... You know, there's some friction sometimes, but um, but I think it's all like working towards like something amazing. So mm-hmm. yeah, so we just we we hit it off. We spent a lot of time together, uh, and then you know really like edible, edible sort of you know was born as our relationship was. And so as that was like beginning to take off, we just started sort of dating and uh, yeah. So tell us about the moment when. You know, you're kind of coming up with this idea in, in your classes and you're coming up with a business plan. When was the moment when you knew, like, this is going to be a real thing? Well, I mean, Rana talked about that, like, that sort of light bulb moment when it just clicked. And we thought, 
we know a lot of people eat cookie dough, at least like anecdotally. We also know a lot of people are getting sick, right, because they're eating it and they're not supposed to. And you're hearing about these recalls all the time. So we had a sense that there was potentially an opportunity because nothing like that existed, right? Um, uh, so, so that was like number one. And that gave us a signal that this is something to explore further. I think as we, like pretty much at every step, it was kind of validated. So we would take the product that Rana made and we would get out into Whole Foods parking lots and have people sample. We would ask them questions. Is this something you would try? We were doing a ton of like online surveys, um, you know, trying to extend outside of our little sort of business school mm-hmm. like walls as much as possible. But, um, but at every turn, everyone's reaction was the same. This sounds amazing. How has no one ever done this? Oh, like I've always thought about doing this or like how come, you know, so we just continue to prove it out. I mean, the big, the biggest sort of breakthrough for us was, um, and maybe like I can flip it over to Rana, was like when we knew we had a real business is when we launched online and we were kind of just, you know, like week to week, if we got like 20 orders in, we were amazed, right? Because we just finally were like, okay, let's, let's give this thing a shot. Um, and so we started an e-commerce site and we were both working full time, like 60, 70 hours a week. I would throw up some Instagram photos and, you know, if we got 20 orders in, we're like, who are these people from like Montana and Florida? That's amazing. How did they find us? Um, and we just started to grow little by little. Rana finally decided, hey, if we're going to give this a shot, like I'm going to give it my all. And so like literally the week that she started, quote unquote, full time on it, um, she met with a CMO of a candy company, uh, Lolly and Pops. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he put up a Reddit post that. Um, that quickly started trending and got you know, upvoted to the homepage. Right. He attached like you know an album of photos, and I told you twenty orders in a week. We were like, sweet. Yeah. Uh, we had about fourteen hundred orders in like a forty-eight hour period. Wow. So, you know, it, it, it was it was a great sort of moment for us to say, well, when the message gets out, people want it. And mm-hmm. so, to me, that was like the the biggest validation point um, early on. Rana, how difficult was it to make that decision that this is something that I want to be doing full time? You know, a lot of people are afraid that they are either not financially stable or they, they, they don't have what it takes or they don't know enough to carry out their vision. How are you so confident? So we had done it for about 11 months with full time jobs on the weekends um, during pregnancy, during um, the birth of of Riley, our oldest, who's almost four. Um, And so at the time, I was really never more sure of anything because no matter what I do and whatever, no matter what I've ever done, I work really hard at it. And my job has never just been a job that I was ever able to leave at the office. And so I just started thinking like everyone that I'm working for, I'm I'm helping their business in some way. And I really just felt I had to do myself a favor and just see it through and just give it a year and just see what what we can do in a year. And John was really supportive. My family was really supportive. Um, And without them, really, I don't think I would have had, you know, the the encouragement to just do it on my own if, you know, John or my family wasn't on board or if they were, if they doubted what we were about to do, because it is a big risk. Um, But with their support, we, I, I just, it was, it was an easy decision mm-hmm. um, for remember, me to just quit. 
and I remember one of the questions we, we, we you know, ultimately asked ourselves is, you know, if we didn't do this, like, would we regret it later, right? Would we look back and say, oh man, if we just like gave that a real shot, right? Because we were doing it part-time, like at best, like not even. Um, but if we talked to 10 people about it, they all wanted it, right? When people found out about it, they ordered it, right? So um, we knew that we'd just be kicking ourselves and, and potentially have something really big. So, you know, outside of just the drive to always do it, um, and you know the support of everybody. I, I think we, we just kind of looked at each other and said, "Hey, we think we have something really great here. Let's like really either do it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't, are we are we cool with that? Can we live with that?" And I think we're like, "No, we think we have something. You know, it's it's one of those sort of once in a lifetime opportunities, um, and let's give it a shot." So neither of you had started a business before this. This was like your first go at it. Yeah. So pretty much. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you, you had the, you had the, the idea was right, right timing. Um, and, uh, all, all signs were pointing to go. Um, what was the hardest or the biggest challenge at that moment when you were starting the company? Did you ever, did you run into anything? It sounded like you, you got some initial traction, but what was like the toughest part of it? Man, I mean, I, I can tell you the toughest part is like, like we could put together like a 50 slide deck that would dazzle anybody, right? Like strategy, like consumer research. This is our target and market. It's cookie dough. I mean, it's like, yeah, and it's cookie yeah. dough. So just taste yeah. it, right? But 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 you know, like taking you know the very sort of academic approach to proving this thing out. We had the business plan. It was all polished. Um, it was funny to us. I think the places that like held us up so much early on was like. Just all like the nitty gritty administrative stuff of getting like health permits and finding, you know, the right like person. wholesale licenses yeah, right. and, you know, lab testing and barcodes, mm-hmm. ingredients, nutrition fact panels, like, you know, business, business licenses. It's like things that like there was no cheat sheet. Like you go get your MBA and they actually don't tell you just the like administratively, like how to start a business. Like we even started as a general partnership and then a year in we had to change to an LLC and it was the biggest pain in the butt. I had to get all new checks. I had to do the license. I had to go to the office. I mean, it was like all that stuff all over again. Why didn't someone just tell me do the LLC? Yes, it's $800 a year, but you're going to save yourself hours upon hours of changes. I had to change my credit cards, my bank accounts. Not like, to mention the tax benefits of like, yeah. All yeah, that stuff. exactly. So yeah, that, that would have been really helpful. But, but like going on to Shopify and creating a website, getting like some yeah. designer friends to design it, getting some great photographs, you know, having like a minimum viable product with packaging, like that was like the easy part, right? right. We drove all that and like stood the site up right away. Mm-hmm. And then we had to sort of like get all the administrative stuff out of the way. So like you said, this isn't stuff that you learn in school, whether it's your MBA or undergrad, no. whatever major you in, like it just, you don't learn it. If you want to, you know, maybe take good content, you might be a photographer and yeah. do it on the side. Um, what advice would you give to people who are thinking about starting a business, but maybe want to get that, you know, requisite you know, the skills that could set them up for success initially when they're, when they're starting and, you know, going through what you've gone through, like, and what, you know, uh, yeah. what would you say? Uh, oh. Well, you, 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 I mean, look like a six figure, like MBA program helped uh, at some level, but really there's been nothing like, like doing it. So one is just figuring out yourself and going through the process. What accelerates that is networking really well, you know, to, to people, like in your direct industry and sort of adjacent to it that have done it before, maybe 
maybe five years ago, or maybe they're going through the same thing. You guys can just share best practices or like, I have this contact that like accelerates everything. And I was having this conversation with uh, Rana's brother the other day, um, who's an entrepreneur as well. And he was sort of saying like, yeah, it's, it's never been easier to start a business and there's never been more resources. Like you don't have to go through like a Tony Robbins, you know, $20,000 weekend course to like, like have, you know, a plan of action. But there's, but there's also sort of more junk out there than ever and you have to sort of weed through it. And so um, look, I, the, the best thing for us has been one, just starting, right? Instead of sort of like, Let's, let's not do anything until we get it perfect. One has just been starting. You sort of learn on your own along the way. But then what accelerates all that um, are really like the people around you, you know, like podcasts like this. Um, uh, it's like that's made all the difference. And I would say for, for people who are in college, it seems like, you know, people in college, like entrepreneurship is a really big buzzword. Like everyone mm-hmm. wants to, to be their own boss and start their own company. And everyone feels like they have this amazing idea. So two things. One would be share your idea. Like don't keep it to yourself. Tell it to as many people as possible. You don't have to go tell it to like, you know, some serial entrepreneur who could potentially take your idea and go start a business and they have the roadmap. Mm -hmm. But you can share it with your friends and family and even put it out there just to get some feedback on it because you'll be able to hone your idea or maybe even pivot in a way that you never thought possible to make it better. And two, I would say for college kids, this would be huge and I wish... There were more resources to connect startups to college interns because just I had an intern from USC all of last year and it was the I, I tr- just tried to give her every type of experience experience you would never give right. to somebody of that level with without really their full education or even without work experience but at, when a startup you need hands you need help you need someone to send certain emails so. For me, at least, I like to empower and I like to give that responsibility to people who would never have that if you went into a, the corporate world. So go, go you know, there's got to be some more networking, I think, between startups and local colleges for internships, not just summer internships. Like you can handle your class load and a couple, you know, 10 hours a week working, but working in a startup where you're going to be working hard, but it's so much fun because you're like actually seeing results every single day. Uh, John and Rana, besides, you know, the administrative stuff that you said was kind of like a fork in the road along the way or just kind of a pain in the butt, um, what other struggles have you had to go through in the past, you know, few years growing Edible um, and how did you overcome those? So I guess one of the biggest ones for us was when we have reached kind of capacity in terms of production And like moving, figuring out like what is the next level. So like, for example, when we first, first started, we were making cookie dough in a like makeshift kitchen in a garage. So from that point, that's obviously no way that's not sustainable. Um, But it was how we were going to test the concept with very little investment, you know, just a couple mixers that we can get from, you know, whatever, Crate and Barrel, Williams-Sonoma. Um, from there, then it was kind of taking that next step. And when we got all those orders, when we were on Reddit, we were like, okay, well, what are we going to do? So I called a friend in the restaurant industry and he knew of a catering kitchen. We were able to rent 
a catering kitchen, but only one day a week. So then it's like, okay, so figuring out our shipping schedule because we're only producing one day a week. Then when we kind of outgrew that, we were like, okay, one day a week, not sustainable anymore. We need more. Plus my parents' living room looked like a cardboard box warehouse. There were extra ingredients, packaging. Their dining room was our packaging table. So we would have like an army of people in there one day a week to do all the packaging for the whole week. So when we realized, okay, we need to move on. So now what's the next step? Well, we were looking at hourly rental kitchens. And then ultimately there was a place called LA Prep that's in downtown LA that is 54 um, individual kitchens, but they're small. But when you have a kitchen, you have to pay a very steep rent, but you get access basically seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Now we didn't need it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, but that was kind of the next step. So taking that next step of like, oh gosh, this is really expensive per month. Mm -hmm. How's our business going to sustain it? We're going to have to use this place to capacity, you know, basically till we're running it seven days a week, 24 hours a day to get the most out of it. But, um, but yeah, that was taking a huge leap and we've still, we've been there in that facility and there's times where, you know, my, my staff in the kitchen will say, you know, Rana, we need more space. So we've bought, brought in extra tables so that like the room is filled with tables. If we need help with packaging or mixing, we've bought extra, you know, bowls. We're, we're trying to make do with the space that we have, yeah. but it's again, what's the next leap? Probably a co-packer and a co-packer, you know, they're going to make it, but you lose a lot of control and, you know, are we ready to take that leap too? So. And, and outside of that, I would just add one other thing, which is just sort of our overall sort of workflow and how we operationalize around our business. Because when we kind of came up, like we're, it's sort of the, like the opposite of the, the big food CPG guys, right? Like we launched direct to consumer right out, of the, right out of the gate, right? And, and versus wholesale. Because we thought we can quickly get this up. We can quickly test the market, validate sort of our flavors, our recipes, like understand what messaging works and what doesn't, test a lot of things out in digital and we love that. It's still like a really strong business for us. It continues to grow. But when you look at um, sort of like cold, refrigerated, frozen foods, you know, while some of the sort of wholesale business is shifting to e-commerce, right, in, in a material way, the cold chain products aren't, right? Like you're still really buying those in stores. And so we knew sort of we needed to open up the wholesale part of our business because that's where we we're going to get a lot of scale. And quite frankly, you just have to go, you know, go meet the customers where they are. And that's in stores for, for our kind of product. So we had to really like totally shift our processes. I mean, Ron was talking about scaling, shift our processes, our mindset away from an e-commerce business where, you know, when Whoopi Goldberg took us on Jimmy Fallon um, and, you know, right away we were able to say, okay, like, Whoopi's a great advocate for our product. We're going to create a, a Whoopi pie flavor, you know, that's going to launch two months later for Valentine's. And we had the plans done that week later. And then, you know, we had ordered the, the labels and stickers and we had that product up, you know, two months later and we can do it even faster. Right. But we had this sort of like real time, very nimble, flexible, like super fast um, organization. Right. But then we had to sort of meld this totally different philosophy, which is, all right, we're now going to sort of redesign packaging that has to pop on shelf, right? It's not just about the website to merchandise it great with photography. Packaging has to be created. Yeah. Um, and that's going to take a couple few months. Then we have to order it through China uh, or other places, you know, to really get those costs down. We have to order that in bulk and make some big bets there. 
we're going to you know, hire brokers and people to help like sell this in. You know, the retailers we want to be in maybe only look at new products once a year. Um, so it's like a totally different sort of the lead times, the long-term planning, um, you know, the, the budgets to support that, so different. So it's like you know, we really committed to that maybe halfway through 2017. So I'd say like we're really just getting in a groove coming to this year and, and um, we've figured a lot out. But you know, bringing those two sort of philosophies together uh, is, has been a challenge, but I think we've, we've learned quite a bit. So how do customers or most of your customers find out about a product like this? I mean, initially, I, you know, it sounds like you got some good press, mm-hmm. um, but just like, you know, as far as like a scalable solution, um, how do you market this thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the majority of our business has been uh, online, edible.com, and so the majority, I would say, is, has been through like word of mouth, through social. You know, I think our product just naturally lends itself really well to like content that mm-hmm. people go crazy about on Instagram mm-hmm. and want to tag their friends in the post or share it um, or you know, talk about it in other ways that aren't trackable through digital. Uh, you know, I, w- I would say of our business, maybe, maybe a third or two thirds, I don't know exactly, but um, is gifting, right? So it's, it's you see it, maybe you've even tried it, you love it, and then it automatically is like, I have to send this to my friend. Right. So then there's sort of like a virality effect to that, right? Because then you get to taste it for the first time. This is amazing. I'm going to like gift it to my other friend. And it's these um, sort of like millennials uh, that are sort of, I would say like within their friend groups, they are like the people that are out there discovering new products and excited to tell them about it. So, um, you know, we obviously have sort of our like marketing program, like one-on-one email is really effective. There's all these touch points, but I would say, at the heart of it, that's what's driving a lot of sort of the, the broader. How did someone like a Whoopi Goldberg find out about Edible? So Whoopi was somebody, I actually did an event for Nickelodeon. Okay. And the event lead said, oh my God, I'm obsessed with your product. It's so amazing. I like, it has to be on things. Like you have to get it on this and then on this and then on this. So he sent me his contact list and was like, reach out to these people. This, this is the list of the people, their assistants, like basically send them product. They're going to love it. And so I did. I spent like, you know, an afternoon trying to get in touch with all these people and send samples. And of the list, like maybe half actually responded. Mm-hmm. Um, but Whoopi's office was one of them. And they were so excited about it. Like Whoopi was such an instant fan that she actually gifted it uh, that year to a lot of the people that she knew because it's like when something makes you so happy, you know, it's only normal to want to share that happiness with mm-hmm. other people and it's such like a generous thing. So um, then she, then all of a sudden I got a phone call that was like, Whoopi was gonna, is going to, every time she goes on to Jimmy Fallon, she gives him a dessert and she wants to give him cookie dough. And it was like, what? And John and I were actually about to leave for a family trip and we were going to be out of the country for a week. And all, so of course we land out of the country, we were in Italy and the show aired while we were on the flight Mm -hmm. and the swarms of orders, customer service. Meanwhile, my mom is processing the orders for the week we were gone. And we thought it is like middle of October. There's not going to be anybody ordering the people in the kitchen kind of knew what they were doing. My mom kind of knew what she was doing. And then, like, didn't wasn't they were not prepared for you know over a thousand orders that had come in from that. So, it was um, it was definitely an experience. And I had no Wi-Fi where I was, so I was using my mother-in-law's uh, what's it called the my my fear my my, 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 my yeah. 
And so I was using that, which was kind of spotty at best. I also had a three-month-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So yeah. it was just like, yeah, it was rough. We're jet-lagged. <laughs> it was rough. But, yeah, that's how Whoopi found out. So we, we were really fortunate there. But press has been, um, you know, when you can get it, it's really an amazing, um, amazing exposure. You know, it really hits the target demographic. Um, which is great. And then it's up to us to like continue to retarget and stay top of mind and hope that they continue to order. Well, and like, yeah, I was talking about like sort of the virality and we just feel like whenever, like we think our product stands up to anybody's, you know, any kind of dessert, we think it's just such a unique one of a kind of thing that, that people will like because we, you know, put a lot of uh, attention to the quality and how we make it. Um, but, but yeah, like Whoopi's like that outlier where, where, you know, it, it's exactly what I was talking about, which is, you know, we did a custom event for Nickelodeon and we were then introduced to someone and they thought it was a great idea. They started ordering it. They loved it. They started gifting it to all their friends. Then the manager calls us and says, she, she may take it on. We say, okay, like, we'll ship you product right away. He's like, no, no, no I love your product. I'm going to order it. Like, it's not even about, like, you guys send it. So there was nothing paid about it. It was just something that she so firmly like was excited to share with the world. Um, and so, you know, I, I came from entertainment. I know what like branded integrations cost. I mean, yeah. Like, and I just want to say like, invaluable. I don't think you could have found a better person to endorse yeah. it. Cause it's like whoopee cookie dough just has a ring to it. Rolls off your tongue. <laughs> I kind of want to talk about um, the topic of like health consciousness when it comes to food. Cause I feel like yep. a lot of every year there's something new, like yep. a, a new data or yeah. something that comes out. How do you see something like cookie dough and yeah. just dessert in general, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, dessert could have high sugar. I'm not, I'm not actually sure like what your product Very uh, looks high like. Sugar. Fair, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it, it got, it's got to taste good. Uh, how do you see it having a place, you know, like as you know, people are become becoming more mm -hmm. health conscious? Yeah. Right. So amongst everybody wanting to eat healthy, there's what there's, there is a place where people don't want to sacrifice health and that is, or they don't want to sacrifice taste. And that is with dessert. So it's very, very tough for people who are committing to a healthy lifestyle to also only eat healthy desserts. Because really, like, desserts aren't healthy. Even the healthier desserts, they're not healthy. They're either high in fat or high in, you know, sugar. There's always something. Or just really low in taste. Yeah, or just terrible right. taste. I mean, and you're those just... Those vegan, like, gluten-free, sugar-free, fat-free ice cream, I'm just like, just yeah, sell me air. Yeah, right. you for the taste. Exactly. Yeah. You just, you want, if you want an indulgence, you're going to have your indulgence. Mm -hmm. It might be about portion control. It's about moderation. Actually, a huge number of our um, customers, our very loyal customers, are in fitness. Like, yeah. they are actual... Bodybuilders, runners. It's the people, cheat meal. Yeah, it's their cheat meal, or it's when they when they're on the the building cycle, where they can gain all this weight and they they get to don't like, care what they eat. Yeah, no. they, yeah, they get to indulge. Like that's the point of it. It's like they have to live their life too. You know, just because their life is committed to fitness, it doesn't mean that they have to hate everything that they eat and be so disciplined. And so, you know, I, I think edible cookie dough of all the desserts is actually one of the desserts for me also as like a mom who's a female that like doesn't want to just blow up in her age. Mm -hmm. Like I eat cookie dough all the time and people say to me all the time, how do you look like this and like own a cookie dough company? And it's like, because cookie dough is so indulgent and satisfying, you don't have to eat the whole thing. You get to treat yourself with a little bit every single day and it's like amazing and it makes you, you know, and, it, and you're happy and you feel satisfied. Well, I just think one, you know, additional note to that is just, yes, you know, I, I, I think this, this idea of, 
a more balanced lifestyle is is like emerging, right? Instead of just like the crazy all or nothing diets, I think mm-hmm. people are more like, okay, I, I think you know I can eat healthy and exercise, but if I want to treat myself to something, like that's okay. So I, like I think that is becoming you know more popular. But the other thing is when they do do that. They don't want the processed artificial junk. And we, like, right out of the gate said we're not going to do any of that, right? If we're going to come out, we're going to create a product that is all natural, non-GMO. So it's it's got a super, like, clean label, right? So even though you're going to – there's butter in our product, it's hormone-free, right? Like, it's, it's quality stuff. It's not going to have that horrible, like, effect on your body that just, you know, the artificial preservative, you know, sort of junk food, <laughs> right, that um, – that just makes you feel horrible. It's not going to have that in it. So at least when you're indulging um, and everyone likes to, you know, you can have a little bit of peace of mind that that you're putting like real food in your body and not chemicals. Rana, early on you said that while you were in college, you were eating, you know, cookie dough as more so of like a comfort food. And that's kind of what I thought about it as first. But, you know, how does it also translate to it being, you know, in the dessert category, you know, is it something that, you know, when you, I guess my main point is when you're messaging this or, you know, you're, when you're selling this, are you selling it as comfort food or are you selling it as dessert or, you know, what, what is the consumer seeing from you? Yeah. So we we're trying, we're inventing this new dessert category is how we're calling it because, and the, and the grocery store, the cookie dough category was it's a baking category. Right. It's with all the biscuits and other doughs. Everything's for baking. Um, so this is more of a new ready-to-eat dessert. Um, so it's kind of like the same way you would eat ice cream as you would eat cookie dough, or you can now make any ice cream cookie dough ice cream um, by just adding the cookie dough to the ice cream. So it's like a topping. Um, but you can also use it as a spread. You can use it as a dip for fruit, for pretzels, um, graham crackers. So it's really, we're trying to create this new category um, and, you know, trailblazing a new category in the grocery store is a venture. Like, it's tough. You're re-educating consumers and what they know of cookie dough. Some people say, what do you mean? Isn't all edible? Isn't all cookie dough edible? And it's like, no, it says right on the package in clear English, do not consume raw. But like, everyone's just like, oh, well, wow. I eat it. I've always eaten it and I'm fine. But so we're creating this new... It's a dessert that you can eat raw. There's, it says, do not bake on ours, you know. So it's, it's just a new category of dessert, and it's just changing, you know, it's adding to, mm-hmm. you know, do you want ice cream? Do you want cookie dough? Do you want cookie dough and ice cream? Do you want M&Ms? Do you want, you know, Oreos? All of this stuff. But it's like, no, I want something that's clean but also indulgent, and that's what Edible provides. Yeah, and I think that, like, the, the positioning of whether it's um, – you know, sold in store or online is different, right? We can just target a bunch of keywords online that Tarana's point is like sweets, dessert, cookies, cookie dough. And like people are sort of generally in that frame of mind where they want something sweet or they want to gift something sweet. And we cater to that in the stores. Again, like I'll sort of repeat myself, which is like, yes, it's a new category, right? And you very much eat it like you would an ice cream, Mm -hmm. like just open the top and start spooning it. But right now, where are people buying that, right? We saw Mintel report, like, what was it, five years ago, that one in five people that buy ready-to-eat cookie dough, or ready-to-bake cookie dough, right, the take-and-bake scoop um, and and put it on a tray, one in five people that buy that take it home just to eat it raw. So right now, the people that love to eat cookie dough are going to the ready-to-bake cookie dough aisle and grabbing it so they can go, you know, eat it on the drive home, right? So we want to be right there when they're thinking about that. It also played into sort of our packaging, which is 
to totally differentiate from them, right? It's not in like some big giant tub or it's not in a tube or like these little sort of like bricks that you break off. We made it look sort of, you know, whimsical and colorful and bright like like an ice cream pint that you had grabbed from the frozen section. So so how many stores are you in now physically? Yeah, so we're in about 250 stores. 250. Yeah. So it's been, you know, several years you're into edible and, um, uh, you, you know, it sounds like you have the e-commerce side figured out and, you know, in 250 stores. What does the next few years look like for edible? Maybe like three to five years from now. Yeah, I mean, like, like we said, I mean, we, we just started the wholesale side and, and we've made big commitments over the last year and a half to shift into that, like, like distribution channel and you know we were in like 50 stores six months ago right so i think we very much sort of see that continued trajectory of large scale on um on the wholesale sort of grocery store side we're really focusing on natural and specialty right now just you know we're at whole foods selling really well their customers love us we think there's a lot more you know stores we can get in with them and there's nothing else like us in those markets so we can really sort of like continue our first mover advantage. You know, we want to stay here, I would say like Denver West and focus on um, a business that we can manage instead of getting too big too fast. But certainly we see continued high, like, you know, hockey stick growth on the store count side because that doesn't happen sort of like like one store at a time, right? You get like these big sort of step function growth. Um, uh, and also like e-commerce for us is such a differentiator. You know, we can test new products um, our margin's really high. We can move really fast there. You know, we can test new regions. Um, and so that's that's a differentiator for us mm-hmm. in terms of the data that we can collect you know, across customers and product. So we're going to continue to invest and grow that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, our, our goal, and, and Ron can speak to this more, is just you know, in, in, a, in a couple of years' time to be available in stores nationwide um, and to not... Not, you know, to maintain the integrity of our product and our price point and not water it down too much to go, you know, to sort of a mass value chain too quickly, which is where, you know, some some people sort of like, they just see that PO to get in 3,000 stores and drop their price by half. Um, and I don't think that's sort of where we want to go. Um, so, yeah, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I think that, you know, premium ice cream has been a huge um, like growth category mm-hmm. in grocery stores. There's, you know, every every time you go to the market, you'll see, you know, your local supermarket carrying a new brand. You're right. like, oh, wow, this, oh, that. I used to spend, like, Gelson's have always loved their selection of ice creams. They've always carry, like, the newest and greatest. But they're, they end up being, they're, they're more expensive, they're more premium, they're the, the better quality. Um, and so I, I usually never leave Gelson's without six pints of ice cream. Um, all different brands, all different flavors. Um, and then I, at home, I mix and match with cookie dough. Like, oh, this, 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 this combo. Like, it's like my own little cold stone. It's funny. We joke. Like, she created Edible for herself. And it, <laughs> by the way, there's like a business that we started too. But right. really, yeah. it's just for her for own me. Like, dessert. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever, like, the going gets tough and I'm like, what if I gave it all up? Like, what? What like what would happen? Like, well, then I can't go to the grocery store and buy cookie dough because there's nothing out there that I like other than my product. So we've got to get like I can't give up. I yeah. got to keep getting it everywhere. Because- but aren't those the best businesses? The ones that you're creating just for yourself, and yeah. then you realize that oh wow, there's other Ranas out there yeah. that are yeah. basically you know they want the same thing I do. Totally, totally. That's what's probably the most amazing thing. And I think as consumers, and we all are consumers, and we don't do it enough. But it's just like 
share when we are really happy with a product, especially food products. Like you don't have to necessarily write like Lay's that you like love their new bacon flavored potato chip, but like any other product that's not a name brand that you see everywhere, like tell them, like if you really like a new this or that or chip or candy or chocolate, like coffee, just tell the brand because I think it doesn't fall on deaf ears and it's really nice to know. People are very quick to complain about something, Mm -hmm. but we don't share all the things that we love. Um, you know, the brand that you're like, oh my God, this is the third time I bought this, yeah. you know, yogurt. I'm going to, I want to tell them that I really like the strawberry flavor or whatever, you know, it's nice. Well, John, Rana, it's been a great conversation. I'm actually really excited to give it a try because cookie dough was always my favorite ice cream flavor when I was a kid oh, and, I, okay. and I gave it up because of the, the health issues, but it sounds like I can <laughs> moderate this a little bit better. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much for the time and, uh, it was great chatting and I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, we're looking forward to seeing, uh, edible grow. Thanks so Thank much. You. Thank you.